The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now, I'd like you to take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. It's always a privilege to come into church on Sunday mornings and to open up God's Word and to preach things that we know are the absolute truth. Uh, the Bible contains truth, and that's why I don't bother about going to the newspaper to pick out sermons, and I don't go to the Christian bookstore and get the books of the self-help pop psychology gurus that I might preach to you. Uh, we preach from the Word of God, and that's because we don't need the opinions of men in the pulpit. We need God's truth, and so we're not going to fail every Sunday and we get together to open up the Bible and to preach from the words of Scripture. Now, I do have to tell you, though, that on some Sundays, uh, we have some unpleasant subjects to discuss. Uh, we, we talk about the grace and the love of God, and those are very pleasant things to speak of. Those are things that are, can really gladden your heart. And when you hear messages on grace and love and the mercy of God, then you, you can leave church with a wonderful feeling in your heart. You are so glad that you went to church. But there are other times when we have to speak of subjects that are a little bit tougher, and we might not feel so good about church when we leave, when we talk about sin and death and hell, those are things that people don't feel very good about. And that's the reason why you don't hear those subjects very often in the pulpits of modern churches. Now, what we do need to note is that when Jesus preached, that it seemed that there were far more times that people went away angry rather than happy. And they were so angry, often they wanted to kill him. And there were many attempts to kill Jesus even before he went to the cross. Now, Jesus preached that everyone is a sinner. He said that we are all under the wrath of God. And that's a truth that nobody really likes to hear. And unless the Holy Spirit has already been working in your heart, that same Holy Spirit that we sang about a moment ago, if he's not working in your heart, then this is what happens. You will reject that truth. And you'll be angry about that. And you'll go away from church not feeling very good because you know that if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, that God is angry with you. The wrath of God abides upon you. Now, there are some things that I'm going to say in the sermon today that might not make you too happy. Now, as a preacher, you're always glad when the pews are filled up and you have a, a large congregation to speak to. But I trust, the, I trust the Lord to bring the people into the services that he wants to be here and for them to hear. And today, this might be a good thing because when we leave here, there won't be so many to pick up stones and throw at me before I get out the parking lot. So there are good things and bad things about uh, whether people come to church. So we do need to remember this, uh, again, that there, there were people that listened to Jesus, and more often they went away angry than they did happy. There are topics and there are truths that must be told, and those truths are not always pleasant. And I want you to notice that in the text that we're going to read today, that Jesus is telling the truth... And the truth that he speaks of is about the tribulation and people that live in that time, for those people that live in that time, it's not going to be very pleasant. Our text is part of a long private discussion that Jesus had with his disciples. 
This is called the Olivet Discourse, and for two chapters, Jesus taught the disciples about the end times, when uh, this tribulation would come, and then when his kingdom would come upon, upon the earth. And the questions, or the things that Jesus talks about here, were prompted by questions that the disciples asked when Jesus told them that the whole religious system of the Jews was about to come crashing down. And because of that, they were tempted to believe that the end was near. That if Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and the temple was to be destroyed, then that must mean that the end is very near because in their understanding of the Word of God and their ancient eschatology that they drew out of the Old Testament, they knew that the kingdom of God was associated with this great tribulation that was coming and that meant that the end of the world was very near. And so the disciples asked questions about this, and what Jesus did in these two chapters was to set their thinking straight about the end times. Yes, Jerusalem in just a few years was about to be destroyed, but that was not a sign that the end was there. Now, there would be signs, but the soon destruction of the temple was not the sign that the kingdom was there. Now, what Jesus teaches here is that when the signs of the kingdom are given, that these will be very obvious signs, that these are things that will be unlike anything the world has ever seen before. The signs would have a global effect upon the world. And those signs are earthquakes and famines and wars and diseases and apostasy and pestilences. And they don't affect just isolated areas of the world, but these in fact uh, affect the entire world. And this is going to happen over a seven-year period of time that is called the tribulation. And then when that tribulation is over, this is when the glorious King, Jesus Christ, will come to establish his kingdom upon the earth. Now it is important for us to understand that as we read this, that Jesus is not speaking of the rapture. The Bible does not give any signs of the rapture. But then after the rapture occurs, there will be signs of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus discusses here. That's the topic of discussion in these two chapters, the signs of the kingdom. And that is what the disciples wanted to know about. Now our reading today begins at verse number 15, in which Jesus speaks of the arrival of a man who is known as the Antichrist. The end times will be a time of great apostasy. There will be a fake Christ who will come, and he will inflict the worst possible persecutions upon the Jews. Now notice the word of God here as it talks about him and what happens at his arrival. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time as we read God's word. Look at verse number 15 is where we'll start. Matthew 24:15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days." But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we find in the word. Open up our hearts to this truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, today's message is 
the second part of this uh, subject of the arrival of the Antichrist. And I want to take just a moment here to reflect on part number one that I gave you last week. We'll talk just a little bit about that. And we began last week talking about the prophecy of the, of the Antichrist. Now, what Jesus spoke here was not a new prophecy. Now, the words that he speaks are certainly prophetic, but this is not something that was new to the Jews. The prophet Daniel and other Old Testament prophets had spoken about this, but the prophet Daniel in particular is the one prophet who is so precise, the most precise prophet that you find in the Old Testament about details of the end of the world. And Daniel wrote about this man who is the Antichrist 500 years before Christ came. And Daniel described him as one who would come and desecrate the temple of God. He was a man who would would commit uh, abominations in the temple. Abomination, that is a sacrilege. That's what it's speaking of there. And the abominations of this man would be so great that it would leave the temple of God desolate. And Jesus drew on that description that's in the book of Daniel to describe this man and call him the abomination of desolation. And that's the Antichrist who will come to power during the tribulation. Now, as we just read a few moments ago in Psalm chapter 55, verse number 20, that there is a peace treaty that the Antichrist is going to make with Israel. And in this peace treaty, he promises that he will allow a new temple to be built. He promises that he will protect Israel and that Israel will be able to worship God in freedom. And that's been the hope of the Jews for these past 2,000 years. What they want more than anything is they might have a new temple built on the Temple Mount, and there they can come and they can make their sacrifices, and they can worship God in the same way that their forefathers did. And when this man comes to power, he will make that promise. He'll tell them that your temple can be rebuilt, and he'll give them their desire, and he will give them peace. And so Israel will sign a peace treaty with him and they'll go away from that peace treaty thinking all is well and good. Now we're going to be protected. Now we can worship God like our forefathers used to do. But it was never the intention of the Antichrist to protect them. This man is the ambassador of Satan and it's Satan's desire, always has been his desire, to destroy Israel since the beginning going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's been Satan's desire to overthrow God. And that plan has never changed. And every time, and every century, right until this present hour, it is Satan's plan to try and overthrow the kingdom of God. And so through all this, all this time, there's been this undertow of Satan. He's been there subverting, trying to subvert the plan that God has to bring his kingdom on the earth. And the Bible teaches us that Satan's influences are so strong that it gives him the designation of being the God of this world. And that means that he is the God of this world system. And the world system stands against everything that God is. And so for thousands of years, that's been the plan. It's Satan's plan to end God's rule. And it so happens that when the tribulation comes, the time to do it, is drawing short. This is Satan's last stand. And so he'll throw everything that he can, all the power that he can muster, all of his best laid plans will be brought to the forefront to try and stop the kingdom of God. Now you do need to understand that Satan is not really in control of anything at all right now. That Satan is on a leash. God has him on a leash. 
But when the tribulation comes, God is going to extend that leash and he'll let the world rise, if you want to put it that way, or fall to the greatest of its iniquities. And he will allow men to fill up the cup of wrath. And so in the tribulation time, the cup of God's wrath is filled up with the wickedness of men and God pours that judgment, that wrath out upon the world. And so Satan puts this man that we call the Antichrist into power and he has this evil plot to lure Israel in and then he's going to turn on them and destroy them or try to destroy them. And that's what Jesus is warning about here in these verses that we read, that there are, there's a false peace that will be broken. That happens in verse number 15. The Antichrist goes into the temple that he's allowed to be built and where the Jews are making their sacrifices and he goes into that temple and his intention there is to make himself God. And so after three and a half years, they're three and a half years into the peace, and he goes into the temple, and he places there an idol of himself. And as he does that, he defiles Jewish worship. You see, the temple of God has never had an idol in it. Isn't that what God said? Not to make unto him any graven images? You wouldn't go into the temple of God and find an idol of anything. Not, not a dead statue of Moses. And you're not going to find one there of of Isaiah. And you wouldn't find in the temple of God a statue of an angel or anything like that. Or or Mary or those kinds of things. You're not going to find those things in the temple of God. Because God does not allow idols in his temple. And so here comes this Gentile. And they're not allowed into the temple. And he places himself in, in the temple. He goes in there, desecrates it, and puts an idol of himself for the people to worship. And this... Gentile, this Antichrist, is the worst heathen that the world has ever seen. And when he goes into the temple, the worst of the persecutions begin. Now you'll notice in verse number 8 of Matthew 24 that here Jesus calls these events of the tribulation sorrows. And as I've explained to you, that word means birth pains. These are the birth pains of the kingdom. And the worst of them, or one of the worst of them, is the arrival of this man who is the Antichrist. And when he goes into the temple, then the coming of the kingdom is not very far away. Now, unfortunately, though, what we have here is a very sad, gruesome report. Israel will be involved in horrible persecutions before the kingdom begins. So there isn't anything good here. This is a very sad story, and it results in the deaths of millions of both Jews and Gentiles. Now, the death of the Gentiles, although many of them will be believers, mostly that is collateral damage because the real intent here is to get at the Jews and to destroy Israel. Now, as we go a little bit further into it today, I want you to see, secondly, the plan of the Antichrist. And I've outlined, I've outlined some of that plan already. He is a false Christ. And what does a false Christ do? Well, Jesus tells us that in verse number 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. A false Christ says, I am Christ. Whatever Christ is, that's what I am. And would you notice for just a moment that phrase, I am? And isn't that one of Jesus' favorite names for himself? Didn't God say to Moses at the burning bush, I am? This is the name by which I am known, I am? And the Antichrist comes and he says, no, I am. 
And so this is what the Antichrist is known for. First of all, his defiance of God. Now, if you have any true perspective of who Christ is, you know that he is God. Now, the Mormons and the JWs and the Muslims, they all deny that Christ is God. Now, you might not realize it, but every time that you hear a derogatory remark made against Christians who are the people of God, that is blasphemy against Jesus Christ, who is God. Whenever our government makes laws that license the very same things that Christ came to save us from, they're saying that Christ is not God. All of these people are antichrist because that's what antichrists do. They, they defy God and they say that Christ is not God. And whenever you plot against Christ by legislating sin, aren't you saying that I am above God? Aren't you saying that what God's word says doesn't matter, that we have the right to determine what we're going to do, we'll do what we want to do, and that makes us God instead of God? And that's what the whole world is doing today. Those without Jesus Christ trying to make themselves God. They're pretending to be God. But the only thing that they lack is the power that goes along with being God. All the defiance and all the boasting and all of that is there. They just lack the power to be God. Well, what happens here during the tribulation time is that Satan gives power to the Antichrist to do what others cannot do. In the human heart, there has always been this defiance against God. Now, you believe that you ought to be God. And, and if you could, you would do just what the Antichrist will do. You would, you would march in to the holiest place and you would sit down there and you would say, I am God, and then you would expect all the world to bow at your feet. Well, the Antichrist actually has the power to do what you wish that you could do. He puts teeth into his defiance. Now, we'll look here at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, and he's speaking of these end times, the tribulation, that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, that means destruction, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now I want to say something to you that might seem to be a little bit strange, but God actually helps the Antichrist. You say, well... You must be puzzled by that. I mean, how, how can you say that God helps the Antichrist? God, God can never be the author of evil, and that's true. But what God can do is he can take the evil that people are determined to do, and he can use that evil to fulfill his plans. Now, do you understand this, that God is sovereign, and that means that he's in control of all the activities of man? If you look here in 2 Thessalonians, I can show this to you. And while you're looking there, let me just say that God has a plan to purge the world of sin. His plan is to destroy it. And frankly, there isn't any sin on the earth except that sin is embodied in individuals. And so if God is going to destroy sin, he must rid the world of its perpetrators. Isn't that right? To get rid of sin, you have to get rid of those that commit sin. There is no sin unless somebody commits sin. 
Now, folks, that's the part of the news that isn't so good. God has a plan in which he will bring the world to its knees, both figuratively and literally. And this happens over a period of seven years. And so what God does at this time is to hasten the destruction of evil men. Now, we thank the Lord for this, that right now he is patient. The Lord is patient with us, and what he's done, he has delayed his judgment on the world. We richly deserve all of the punishment that God can give us, but God is patient with us. He allows the gospel to be preached and people to hear it and to believe. God is patient in that he has not rewarded us immediately for our sins. But when you get into the tribulation time, time is running out. We're getting down now to the when the end, when all is going to be consummated. And, and God then speeds up the process of hastening his kingdom to come. Now look in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7 at how God does this. It says, And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now I do understand that those words might seem to be a little bit cryptic to you at first. And so what Paul is saying here is that the world is a very wicked place. And we understand that it is. And he says in verse 6, Do you know what it is that holds back the extreme wickedness of the world? Do you know what it is that keeps the world from being a total war zone right now? Do you know what that is? And he says the one who holds back the worst of sins that can be committed is the Holy Spirit. And you know how he does that or why he does that? He does that. The Holy Spirit restrains the sin that can take place in the world because he still has his people in the world. He still has his church in the world and he's promised that he will protect us. The only thing that keeps the neighbors in this beautiful tree-lined neighborhood from coming over here with machine guns and machetes is the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. He stops all of that from happening. Now, what do you think will happen, though, when Christ comes and he takes the church out of the world? His people are gone. Well, there's no longer any need for that kind of protection. And so when the rapture occurs, this seven-year period will start, and that means that the clock is winding down, and what the Holy Spirit will do is remove most of his restraining influences. And when that happens, sin escalates. The defiance of God will escalate. And that's the kickoff to wars and the worst crime sprees that the world has ever seen. The very worst things that can happen, the worst that men can do, will take place during the tribulation because God will restrain, no longer restrain the sins that men can do. And so who do you think is the beneficiary of all of this sin? Who's the beneficiary of all of the deceit? That would be the Antichrist. Now go down to verses 11 and 12 in Second Thessalonians 2. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so how does God help the Antichrist? Well, he does it through the back channels. He does it in this way. He stops people from changing their mind about the horrible wickedness of the crimes that they commit. He causes them or allows them to believe a lie. And the biggest liar of all is who? The Antichrist. 
God allows them to believe the lie. And so in that sense, he's actually helping, helping the hasting of his own kingdom. Do you understand that? That's how God uses even evil to accomplish his purposes. And men are such haters of God. The wickedness of man is so deep in the human heart that men will sin in the worst ways imaginable. And when the Holy Spirit is withdrawn, they're going to take every opportunity that they have to sin against God. Now, do you think that we have a drug problem now? You just wait until then. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it tells us that one of the things that the Antichrist is going to use, and it says this also in the book of Daniel, he'll use sorceries. And the word sorceries there is actually interpreted as, it comes from the same word that we get pharmaceuticals. And it means he'll even use drugs as a way to get people to follow him. Do you think that we have a problem with rape today? Well, you just wait until then. And do you think that we have a problem with pedophilia today? You just wait until then. And do you think that we have a problem with murder today and that our prisons are being filled up with murderers? Wait until then. Only then, the murderers are not going to be in the prisons, they're going to be in the streets. And do you know who's the object of all the hatred and all the sin that goes on and all the killings? The very main objects are the people of God. The main ones are the Jews in particular, because Satan is trying to stop the kingdom of God. So that's the second thing that we need to see, is that the plan of the Antichrist is the destruction of believers. This is what he wants to do, destroy the world of all believers. So the Antichrist defies God, and he has this intent to destroy the people of God, the believers. Well, we're finally getting to the place in the text where I want to go. Uh, During the tribulation, there are many Jews and others that will be saved. In the seventh chapter of Revelation, it says that there will be 144,000 Jews that will be saved, 12,000 out of each of the tribes of Israel, and those 144,000 will become witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through their witness, there will be millions of people that will come to know the Lord. God's getting ready for the kingdom. And this is the kingdom that God promised to Israel. And so these saved Jews, all of these people that are one to the Lord, are going to become the focus, the main focus of the Antichrist. Now, in Revelation 13, verses 6 and 7, it says, And he opened his mouth, that's the Antichrist, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now, what the Antichrist will do, he'll go at believers full force. And also, any other Jews that might get in the way, they're going to feel the force of his wrath. You see, Satan is after the whole nation, and that's what it takes to stop the kingdom of God. So that's the effort, stop the kingdom from coming. Now, let's go back to Matthew 24, and let's see the warnings that Jesus gives here. All that I've just described to you is the background for these next statements that Jesus makes in this chapter. Now, verse number 16, it says... Jesus says, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now, the the Antichrist is after Jews, and so who do you think are going to be the first to feel his wrath? I mean, don't we see that in verse number 15, that he stepped into the temple, and he takes over there, and that temple is in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is in Judea, and so the first to feel the wrath of the Antichrist will be the Jews that are in Judea. And so Jesus says, when you see him go in there, into the temple, 
Take off to the hills. Get going. Now, Jerusalem is in a mountainous area. To the south of Jerusalem, there is desert and mountainous desert. David, who we spoke about just a little while ago, uh, fled into that part of Israel, into the mountains there. And today, you can go there and you can see caves in the rocks and you can see all of that. Uh, There are many hiding places. It's rugged territory and it provides good cover. And so Jesus said, go there. Get out of town. Go there. Flee to the mountains. In verse 17, he says, Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And that might seem a little odd. Who's on the housetop? I don't know about you, but at home, I don't go out and sit on the housetop. There are too many pigeons up there at my house, for that matter, so I don't go up on the housetop. But in this country that we're talking about, in Judea, the the roofs of the houses at that time were flat. And what people would do is they'd go up in the cool of the evening and they would sit on the rooftop and that was like a, a patio for them. They would sit on the rooftops in the cool of the evening. Now, that's actually what got David in trouble. He was out wandering around the rooftops and there he saw Bathsheba taking a bath on her rooftop patio. Not such a good place to be doing that, but she was and David saw her and you know what happened after that. Now, Jesus said that when this guy goes into the temple, don't bother to go back into your house. Get off the roof. Get down as fast as you can. And if you don't get away as quickly as you can, you won't escape. Now, let's think about that for just a minute. Behind the scenes, the Antichrist is already making his preparations. He's not waiting for the day of not the day that he goes into the temple. He already knows what he's going to do. And so when he goes into the temple, his stormtroopers are already at the gate. They're ready to come in. And this is why there's this sense of urgency in Jesus' words. In verse 18 he says, Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And so if you're in the field tending your crops, don't return from the field. Don't go into your house. Leave the mementos. Leave the heirlooms. Leave the photo albums of the kids and the grandkids. Leave it all behind and get out fast. He's saying here, take the clothes that are on your back and go. Why, why such a hurry? Well, it's because of the violence, because of the unmerciful torture that the Antichrist will inflict. And if you look at verse number 19, you get a taste here of the insatiable bloodthirstiness of the Antichrist. Jesus said, And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Woe to women with children. Woe to pregnant women. Now, do you know what Satan has always hated? There's always been a war against children. You know, I hesitate to read this, but... The prophet Hosea told what would happen when the Assyrians came to conquer Israel. Now, the Assyrians were one of the cruelest of all the ancient empires. They had no mercy on their enemies. And the prophets warned about them because they had no decency. They were like wild animals that would come in and devour their prey. But listen to what Hosea told the people of God. He said, Samaria shall become desolate. And there Samaria stands for the northern kingdom of Israel at that time. Samaria shall become desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. And that's the way that Satan operates. 
Do you remember when Christ was born, what Herod did? He killed infants. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 2 for just a moment. In Matthew chapter 2, this is part of the Christmas story. And we see Satan's hatred here of the Lord Jesus Christ and what Herod did. Matthew 2, verse number 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof, that means clear to the border, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And Ramah, there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. How cruel do you have to be to specifically target innocent children to kill? Are you appalled by that? Are you appalled that the Antichrist would do this, that he would go after children? Well, you really shouldn't be too surprised about it. The Apostle Paul said in Second Thessalonians, didn't we just read it? The mystery of iniquity is already working. And this iniquity of the slaughter of children in our time is unparalleled to any time in history. Abortions destroy the bodies of unborn babies. The abortion clinics destroy them. And they're just like the Antichrist and the Assyrians. They cut the baby out of the womb, and the people of America say, so what? We do that every day. The mystery of iniquity already works. And you can see that in the cruel murder of babies. And people just stand back, and they rationalize that, and they call it their right to choose. Well, who gave you the right to choose life or death for, the, for a person, for especially those that are innocent? Who gave you the right to choose life or death for someone else? Who gave you the right to condemn innocent people to death? And let me take you back to what I said at the beginning of the message. Who is it that gives life and takes life? God does. God alone has the right of life and death. And so what happens when you say, well, I have the right to choose? that I have the right to end the life of a baby. Well, when you say that, you're saying, I am God. I have the power of life and death. I am God, and that's the spirit of Antichrist. And that spirit of Antichrist arises in the human heart, and it marches in, and it sits on the throne of God, and it pretends to be God. And that's shameful, and that's disgraceful. But it's not any different from an Assyrian who took a sword and with cruelty cut a baby out of the womb. And that's because he thought he had the right to choose. Now let me add something to this, and I know that this is not going to be popular either. Let me tell you a little bit more about Satan's war on children. Did you know that you can go to a website and you can find out if there is a child molester who lives in your neighborhood? You can go on there and you can pinpoint the house where that person lives. And you can tell your children, stay away from that house. And you can tell your children, don't get into that part of the neighborhood. But you know what you won't find on a website, on this website? They don't pinpoint the Catholic churches. They don't say, watch out for the priests who prey on children. Stay away from that part of the neighborhood. Now the Roman Catholics did everything that they could to cover up 
the pedophilia of their priest. And let me tell you, when I say this, I'm not laying that charge at the feet of the ordinary Roman Catholic who sits in the pew. This goes to the feet of the magisterium of Rome. The leaders of Rome who tried to cover up that pedophile, that sex abuse, and right here in the Santa Rosa area, in the Santa Rosa diocese, paid out millions of dollars to these, on these sex abuse cases, and yet not one of their churches is on a website for pedophilia. And that scandal went all the way to the Pope. The last Pope resigned because they found out that he was part of the cover-up. And you know what they did with him? They moved him into the perpetual care of the Vatican. And they gave him a new title. Now he's still known as Your Holiness, but now they've given him the title of Pontifex Emeritus. And so they honored him. And then last month, along with the new Pope, Pope Francis, he presided over the canonization of Pope John XXIII and Pope John Paul II, who are also, quite frankly, folks, a part of the magisterium that covered up the whole thing of the pedophilic priest. They all know about this stuff. Now, the Bible says that God never slumbers or sleeps. Do you ever wonder if the devil does? Does he ever sleep? Because he's always trying to stir up something. He's always trying to do something cruel. He's always going after the most vulgar crimes that can be committed. And folks, he does that through people. And so when God is going to destroy sin, the reason he destroys sin in this way, he must destroy the people also. He has to get rid of the people who commit these sins. They're all antichrist. And unless you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're involved in that group who is called the antichrist. And so if you're a person who thinks, oh, it's my right to do as I please. It's my right to abort. It's my right to be a married homosexual. It's my right to obey God. Then you just wait. Because your time is coming. Here's what God says. Isaiah chapter 5. Essentially here in Isaiah, uh, the, the prophet here says, The whole world has been turned upside down to where evil seems to be good, and good is evil. Isn't that what people act like? Good is evil and evil is good. And this is what the prophet says. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore... Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their roots shall be as rottenness and their blossoms shall go up as dust, because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. And that is what's taking place in our country today, despising the word of God. And as they despise the word of God and what is right, they despise Jesus Christ himself. So you think you're God? You think that you can defy God? Wait and see. Now, I told you this wasn't pleasant. And you might not go home from church feeling so good today. They didn't like Jesus' sermons and maybe you don't like this one. I don't know. Now Jesus goes on in verse number 20 and he says, But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter nor on the Sabbath day. Pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. Why? Well, it's cold in the winter, isn't it? Pray that it's not in the winter. It snows in Jerusalem. Did you know that? It snowed when I was there. It snows in Jerusalem. When there's a snow day there, it's just like it is anywhere. It's slow getting out of town. It's a hard thing to get out of town. So he says, pray that your flight doesn't take place in the winter. 
And then he says, getting into those mountains. When it snows, it's hard to get into the mountains. It's miserably cold. Pray that your escape is not necessary then. Then he says, pray that it's not on the Sabbath day. Now here, of course, normally we think of the Sabbath day. The Jews had many Sabbaths. But what Jesus is talking about here is their normal day of worship. Don't, or pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath day. And that, of course, now would be Saturday, what we call Saturday. And you say, well, why? Why, why be afraid of that? You know, the Sabbath day, Saturdays don't mean very much to us. We're not too worried about that. But if you're in Jerusalem, that's a different story. Don't try this on the Sabbath day. Now, you know, in our hotel in Jerusalem, there was a Sabbath day elevator, a Shabbat elevator. And, and this elevator, you don't want to get on because you can't get out fast. You can't get out fast on the Sabbath day in that elevator. And you know why? Because it opens and closes on every floor. You get on it and you push, you're on the 10th floor and you push floor number one and you're going to stop on 9 and 8 and 7 and 6 and 5 and that door is going to open every time and it's going to close every time because the elevator has been pre-programmed so you don't have to push the buttons. You see, the Jews believe that pushing buttons in the elevator is work. And you can't push the buttons on the elevator. So you get in that elevator and you want to get out of a hurry, you got a problem. Because the guy that's after you, he'd just go down the steps. You'll get there eventually. So says, pray it's not on the Sabbath day. And did you also know this, that there are neighborhoods in Jerusalem that you can enter on the Sabbath and you can't get out on the Sabbath? And that's because the Jews believe you can only travel a short distance on the Sabbath day. And if you get into that particular neighborhood... Those Orthodox Jews will stone you. They actually do this. They throw stones at people that try to get out of the neighborhood on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know how they justify not pushing buttons, but they can throw rocks, but somehow they do it. And Jesus says, just pray that it's not then, because you're not going to be able to get away on the Sabbath day. It's going to be a hard thing to do. Now, verse 21, he says, For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. This is the greatest time of tribulation the world has ever seen. And do you know why Jesus says all of this? He's speaking of what it's going to be like in this time of the birth pains. This is the time before the kingdom comes, and that time is going to be a terrible time for the world all this stuff is going to go on. The, the Antichrist is going to arrive and death and hell is going to follow him and he defies God and he destroys believers. Now what does that mean to you and me? I mean, the, the message needs to have an application for you and me, doesn't it? What does that mean to us? Uh, I don't know. There may be some Jews in here. Uh, no one has actually told me that they're a Jew or that I can think of looking at the congregation. So we say, well, we're not Jews. We don't need to really worry about this. As far as we're concerned, the tribulation is a, is, a, is a thousand years away. Why do we need to worry about this? Well, it concerns you because of what we read in 2 Thessalonians where the Apostle Paul said the mystery of iniquity already works. The spirit of Antichrist is already here. It's already in the human heart. And that's the reason why that there are people that don't go to church on Sunday and they do everything else there is to do on Sunday because they're not going to worship God. It's the spirit of Antichrist that's in everyone who doesn't know Christ. 
And so I'm not telling you this because I wanted to give you this morning a nice little object lesson about, with little metaphors about how you can be a better person. But do you think that the Antichrist can be a better person? And do you think that all these people without Christ who are the pretenders to the throne of God who say, I am God and want to go their own way and they are Antichrist in their own way that they can change us at any time they want to? And the answer to that question by the Word of God is no, you cannot change us any time that you want to. You have in the human heart the worst sins that are imaginable. You are captivated by the devil who is the God of this world and you cannot escape him by yourself. The only way that you can escape all of this is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has to operate. You can't do this on your own. And so you keep defying God. You keep defying God. And when you do that, you're going to end up suffering in the same way that the Antichrist will suffer. And you know what his suffering is? Last week we read it in Revelation chapter 20. He's going to be cast into the fires of hell. And then following in that chapter, it says, all who believe the same things and do like he did, who are, not, who are not believers in Jesus Christ, they're also going to be cast into hell. That's bad news, and you might not like it, but it's the truth of the Word of God. It's here in the Bible. So you can keep on defying God, and you can say, well, I have my rights. I can do what I want to do. And God is going to give you your right, and your right is a special place in hell reserved just for you. But the good news is that Jesus came to help you to surrender all of those rights. Did you know that? This is why Jesus came. He came so you would be able to give up all of those rights, that you could stop pretending to be God, that you could actually change your mind about God. The Holy Spirit working in your life Jesus Christ, the power of God working in you, changes your mind about who is God. And you understand who you have to bow to. And you understand who's the only one that can correct the problems that are in your life. And so what you do when you come to him is you give up the right to hell. And that's when Christ is enthroned in your heart. And I have to ask you, do you want that? Do you want that? Would you rather see hell or would you rather see heaven? Well, if you want to see heaven, then you must receive Christ and you must surrender everything to him. Repent of your sins and trust him as Lord and Savior. And one of these days, you know, the Antichrist is going to wish that he could have done that. But there was this strong delusion that was sent and everybody believed a lie. And trust me, folks, you don't want to be in that position. And what I've done today is to tell you the truth. And I know it's the truth because I didn't say it. God said it. It came from his word. So I know that it's the truth. And I know that this is the truth. If you want to have eternal life with Jesus Christ, then you must repent of your sins and trust him. And if you do that today, I promise you that you'll go home feeling a whole lot better about this sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Sometimes the truth is so hard to take. We know that people don't want to receive the truth. Uh, the spirit of Antichrist works in us. The devil is there, the God of this world, holding down, suppressing truth, and we want nothing to do with it. And so we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would break that bondage of our will and turn hearts to Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we pray that you'd speak to someone today. Help them to realize the truth of the word. To stop procrastinating. Don't put this off any longer. Today is the day of salvation. We don't have the promise of even another breath. Lord, we just pray that you'd open up hearts today. Help us. Help us to surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.